Welcome to the Pete Primo Show. It is episode 138, Fix This First with business expert Robert Andrews. I cannot wait to get this show started. But first, I just wanted to uh, I, I just wanted to take a moment of silence uh, for 9/11. I have never broadcast on uh, 9/11 before, and I just thought it would be respectful to to do that. Um, uh, my friend and teammate that I played football with in college, Don De La Pena, uh was in the tower on 9/11. So let's take a moment. Uh, to remember Donnie and to remember all those brave souls who died that day. Okay, let's pay the bills. If you haven't bought my book, Sell a Million, what are you waiting for? 101 ways to uh, improve your sales and your profitability. Now is about as good a time as ever, and I cannot wait to bring my guest in, Robert. Thank you, and welcome to the P. Primo Show. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me. I feel amazing. So this is the first time we've had a guest join us from Romania. Robert has done business all over the world. He's a global business advisor, currently owns eight businesses. Any of you dealers who are thinking about selling a business, you need to really ask Robert some questions while we got him on the show. because. He has already sold three businesses successfully. One for over seven figures? Eight. Eight, eight figures. I didn't want to get that right. I knew we could go up, but we couldn't go down. <laughs> so eight figures. So if you're thinking about selling your business, ask this man a question because he, he has probably got the answer for you. And, you know, I love talking about process. Uh, because we can have the greatest people in the world, Robert, and we will burn them out if our processes are not proper, if they're not properly trained, if they don't have good processes to execute uh, our game plan for the business. So I'm putting the ball in your court. You know, talk about the best practices for improving your process. You know, I own, a, let's just say I own a mattress store. And, you know, I'm wearing a lot of hats. I'm answering the phone. I'm delivering the mattresses. Uh, I, I've got a few employees, but I, I wear a lot of hats. And, you know, when I hear about you starting to talk about processes, I almost start to go la, 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 because I don't want to hear it because I don't have time to do what I'm doing. Can you speak to that? Um, because... Yeah. We have to have processes and we have a process whether we want to admit it or not. Yeah. So a few things here. Um, everything in the world is based on whatever you want to have happen, right? So if you are comfortable staying where you are, you do not have to have process. It works so far. It's going to keep working the same way, right? Sooner or later, you will obviously be run out of business by people that put processes in place. <laughs> but I mean, you already know that. So uh, it's not like it's a secret to anyone, right? The people that are willing to build scalable businesses are the people that will take everyone else out of business. So if you're comfortable just basically surviving up until, you know, uh, you get taken out of the business or you sell the business, then you don't need anything, right? And so need is a very strong word. Do I need to eat healthy? No. Do I want to live longer? Yes. Do I want to have more energy? Yes. Right? And so the, these are just some of the things that in my mind, it's best to weigh what you want. And so that's how I suggest people start. Weigh it in. Um, do you not have children? Do you not have grandchildren? Do you not have a spouse? Do you not have anything you know, that would make you want to not be in the business, you know, and do something else. Fine. Just run your business all day long. Just, you know, deal with all of the, uh, what are they called? Like all of the fires, you know, that happen on a day to day and so on. And just keep being that guy. Just keep being the guy that people need to call. They need your help, right? 
if you are having fun, if you know that's that's what you want, if you want to be called at you know seven p.m. like instead of going to your daughter's or son's you know birthday, like you have to you know deal with some business thing. Otherwise, everything's you know gonna fall down tomorrow. That's fine. If that's what you want, that's fine. And again, maybe I might exaggerate this stuff, but everyone that has been in business for long enough knows these things to be true, right? If you do not have the procedures in your business that dictate what happens in every situation so that you do not need to be there, then basically what happens is that now you have to be there. I can give you one example, and it's probably one of the most pertinent examples. I started a company with some new people last year. Every year I start between one to three companies. And my goal, my main KPI as a business owner is how much time do I need from the moment the company was launched or, you know, funded, whatever, or uh, um, started up until the point I can completely remove myself. So I got it down to around six to 12 months. So after, let's say, 10, 10 months, eight to 10 months on average, I can, you know, remove myself and then I don't need to do anything in the business anymore other than maybe check up on it half an hour, an hour a month, right? To look at the balance sheets, to talk with the owners or the co-owners or the partners, or the CEO, or whatever. So, at one point last year, we started the business with some new people that weren't in our network before. And then they wanted to use Slack. I don't like Slack because it's like, it forces people to talk instead of do. And I don't like that. I like, okay, what's the task? Let's focus on the task. Let's get it done. In Slack, many people have hundreds of conversations, so many threads, and so on. So I tend to stay away from it. However, they wanted it. And so they're going back and forth. And after a few months of that, I was logging in every day, checking, making sure everything's okay, right? And after a few months, they're like, Robert, we want to say something. Like, okay, what do you want to say? Well, we, we feel that you're not vested in the company's success or you're, you know, you're not with us. I'm like, what do you mean? What gives you that impression? Like, well, whenever we have conversations on Slack, you know, if someone says something, you know, we are there in five minutes to reply, but you're never there. You know, you're there once a day or every other day or whatever. And I reminded them of how we agreed that we will conduct business. We agreed that we will build procedures from the very beginning. We agreed that we will delegate from the very beginning. We agreed that we will put a management team as soon as we can afford one, blah, 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 right? Like we agreed on all of that. And I said, is it really a business? If the owner needs to be five minutes at anyone's disposal, how, how is that productive? How is that good? How is that aligned with our vision? If I need to reply to messages within five minutes, that means the company is not sustainable. It's as simple as that. In order for it to be self-sustainable, that means that if someone has a question, we need to write a procedure or a canned response or something so that we can point them in that direction. Not for us to solve problems, but for them to be able to solve problems themselves, for them to be empowered to do that, right? So we had that conversation. It was more more a coaching call than anything else. I wasn't expecting to have to have it, but we did have it. And then after that, they were fine. So they knew that I have a rule every day, once, just once. I check Slack. I look at everything that's new, reply wherever needed. If they already had a conversation and concluded, and I agreed with the conclusion, I wouldn't even write anything. I would just give a thumbs up. And that's it. That would be five minutes of my time. And then I can go to do things that actually matter for the business, right? I don't need to be there in the day-to-day. If I'm asked, being asked questions as the owner, that means that my business is not self-sustainable. And that's, that's the easiest rule you can remember. If anyone in your business has to come to you with questions, for any situation, that means that the business is not self-sustainable, right? So that's basically what what I focus on. And even when you sell a business, you want to sell a business that's self-sustainable. How are you going to sell a business that's dependent on you? If you have, we this is called in mergers and acquisitions, this is called key person dependency. So if you have key person dependency, that is seen as a high risk factor. If your business depends on one person or a few key people, to function, the person buying knows that if those people leave, they might lose the business. So they're not going to risk an eight-figure sum on a business that, you know, if 
two people leave and they're not going to have a business anymore or chances significantly diminish. So um, again, it depends on your goals. So you don't need to, I, I would just correct you for a little bit, Pete, right? So not that you said anything wrong. I agree with what you said. I would just, in terms of the words used, say you don't need to have procedures. You can just run your life exactly the way you've had it. If you're happy, just know that sooner or later you will be taken out of business if you do not uh, scale. And it just, there's no such thing as stagnation in business. You're either growing or, um, or going down because stagnation means that market cap keeps growing every year, right? There's more com competition. There's more people and so on. So if you own, let's say 1 million of that market cap and the full market cap is 100 million, that means you have 1% of the market is yours right now. So if you stay at 1 million for three years, you would say, oh, my business is stagnating. I'm happy. Wait, wait, wait. In those three years, the market cap went from 100 million to 150 million. There are more people buying and there are more competitors that are outgrowing you. So now what used to be, you, you used to have a 1% market share. Now you have a 0. Point something percent, a 0.66% market cap. If it grows to 20 million, then you would have a 0.5. And again, sooner or later, you will be taken out of business. You're either growing and scaling or you're going down. Even if you're stagnating means you're going down very slowly, <laughs> basically. Um, so this is what I invite people to think of, right? So this is what uh, they should conclude is what I do I want. Because for example, I want to spend time with my wife. I want to spend time with my parents. I'm fortunate to still have them. And they have given me so much love when I was young. Um, I want to love them uh, back, right? As much as I can. So I want to spend time with them. I want to travel. I want to do other things, right? Do cool things. So I don't want to be bogged down by the business. And as long as I am bogged down by the business, I, I've, I'm stuck. I have a glorified job, basically. This is what many CEOs and business owners have, right? They have a glorified job that is like a prison, a, a self-made prison, right? The bubble of, of their own building. And so what... I would suggest people do, because that was your question, that's where we started from, uh, is I agree that you do not have time. And so we have had the pleasure of working with over 300 businesses in 19 different sectors, and we've helped all of them grow. They made a total of uh, over half a billion dollars in um, results and business outcomes as a result of our efforts, of our help. And so something that I've noticed is most CEOs or most owners literally do not have the time. When they say, I don't have time to do this or think about this, they mean it. They don't. They're so bogged down, they do not. So what you do is you delegate, literally delegate to someone else. You hire a, a, a management, op, uh, an operational manager, right? Or a chief of ops or whatever. You hire someone internally or you externalize it, right? You, you work with, the, with another company. Right. Pete helps people with consulting, right? Like if you need it in the furniture business, at least, right? So if you need to grow your retail store, talk to Pete. He's going to tell you what to do, right? This and this and this. We used to do that. We stopped doing that a few years ago. We do not consult anymore. What we do now, because we realize that people do not have the time in the day to do what we would recommend. And so they would pay us $2,000 an hour to tell them what to do. And a week later, Ask them, okay, how did this go? And then ah, I didn't have time to do that. I'm like, okay, well, you just paid me a thousand dollars, you know, that's it. So you need to feel the pain of you need to do this, right? And so, um, I don't like that because I feel at that point they're wasting their money. Like I, I don't mind spending time with them and it helps them to re-listen to the same thing twice. But is it as valuable as the for first time? No. So what we do is we set up a, um, outsource business administration unit that we now use for all of our businesses as well, right? So our uh, business administration unit, people are hiring, they're like renting. And so we do, we do the collections, we do the invoicing, we do the contracts, we do the management, the project management. Like we go into the business and manage the business for you. So instead of me telling you what to do, because you already know what to do, right? You can buy Pete's book, right? 101 ways to grow your business and make it more profitable. 
Guess how much time you have to implement those? <laughs> 101 ways. Very little. And now you can hire someone like Pete to tell you this and this and this work for dozens of other clients. And then we will do the work for you, right? Like we will implement everything for you. And so this is not me selling my own service. There are many people like me and there are many uh, businessmen, uh, sorry, operational managers or chiefs of ops that are looking for jobs that you can hire. What I'm saying is the principle is the same. If you do not have time, yet you want to grow your business, let's say it's making 1 million right now, you want to grow to 2, or it's making 5 million, you want to grow to 10, whatever, right? This is what you need. You need either better operational effectiveness, that's what it's called, internally, or through external means. Right? And so these are the two options you have. Or you can do it yourself, obviously, if you have the bandwidth. If you have the bandwidth, do it yourself. Or if you can't afford it, again, do it yourself. Um, but that I noticed that tends to not work. I don't manage my own businesses anymore, by the way. I used to do it. I used to write a lot, a lot of documents. But now my team writes all of that stuff, right? So whenever we set up a new company, it's my team making the contracts. It's my team setting up the business. It's my team doing the meeting minutes, like the official meeting minutes and so on. Like, they're doing everything that we need to do. Collections, you know, they've collected millions <laughs> so far. And, you know, people that weren't paying on time, you know, or things of that nature. So, so many things that, you know, are just delegated now that I don't do anymore. And I would enjoy doing it just because I, I like, I'm an engineer, a civil engineer by background. So I love building things. So to build a business, I enjoy. However, I enjoy knowing that I don't have to, right? It's like I, we have a, a team doing that. And it's so cool for me. I was like, I want this company in Delaware doing this, this is the name, these are the shares, and so on. And they just do everything. Setting up bank accounts. They did literally everything. I don't need to do anything. You know, and it's so cool. Um, and I say this not to brag, but to praise. I say this to praise my team. I'm so happy with them. Like, I'm so grateful to have them, right? Um, and hiring is one thing that we do, you know, keeping them, motivating them, and so on. And so all of that is within procedures, right? If you don't have career planning in your procedures um, and ongoing performance uh, management and so on and so forth, you know, again, you're missing out on a lot of profit or revenue, right? So a very long answer. Sorry, Pete. No, that's okay. Robert, when you uh, were training your team to execute at this very high level, yes. what did that look like in its infancy, the first time you started to train people, like what did that look like? Sure. Um, so a few things that I believe in to be core uh, foundational beliefs. Number one is everyone wants to do good work. They want to do good work. They, they don't, they're not hired thinking that, oh, I'm going to make this company lose money. No, intentionally, they want to do good work. Number one. Number two is they don't have malicious intent by default, only if you do something to them. And then if you do it, then you can tell that, you know, they're angry or malicious, whatever, you just fire them, right? You have a conversation with them and if they don't change their attitude, you fire them. But it, so in most cases, they want to do good work and, you know, they're good people. They're going to do whatever they believe is right for the business. So then uh, what is left? I believe that what is left is for them to use their own brains, which they're not used to. So there's an amazing book on the subject. It's called The One Minute Manager by Ken Blanchard, I believe. It's his, his name. So I read great, it many years. Great book. Yes, I read it many years ago. It's the smallest book I've ever seen. I have it in printed format. It's just like, it's tiny. And so you can get the gist of it there. Uh, or So you can read that, but I can give you the gist of it here. Um, it's basically to stop answering questions. So in the first day or week or whatever, you answer people's questions. And then after that, you stop answering questions. So the rule of thumb is that if someone has a question, they need to write down the scenario, the context, and solutions that they believe would be good. At least two. I, I insist people come with at least two so that they understand there's always more than one way of doing things, right? So basically for every situation, Every challenge, every contextual thing, there are two solutions presented to me when someone comes to me like, hey, this happened. We can either do this or this or 
three is a combination of the first two, right? And then I give them feedback on their thinking. So that's what the manager should do, a coach and, you know, a mentor and so on. So you give them feedback. But notice they didn't come to you for question, uh, for answers, right? They didn't ask you a question. Now they learn to use their own brain. They came to you for feedback. Do this enough times and they won't need feedback. They will know how you think. There's a, there's a quote in English. It's what would Jesus do, right? So they would literally know what would Robert do in this situation. And I kid you not, when I was doing coaching, consulting still for businesses and, you know, uh, high performers, at one point, I, this is something real that happened in the real estate industry. I had a client. When, when we started working together, he was in a very low place because um, I don't want to say like, but the big brand took all of his portfolio, right? He had like 2 million in his portfolio. Someone took it from him. And he was very upset that he wanted to sue and so on and so forth. Like, look, 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 look. That's all, a, that's all negative energy. Let's not think of that for a second. Let's say, what would you do now? If you would start your real estate career right now, what would you do differently? And he started thinking, well, I would do this, I would do that, I would do this. It's like, okay, let's start doing that right now. I kid you not, in less than two months, instead of having a $2 million portfolio, he had a $14 million portfolio, right? He literally 7 x the value in the marketplace of the assets he was representing and the caliber of people he was speaking to and so on. So I was basically teaching him how to think. And at one point, oh, and coaching, the way it used to work for me is that we would have bi-weekly calls. And then in between, you had two urgent calls. Like you could call me last minute if you had something urgently happen to you, you could call me and then, you know, I would help you. Obviously, sometimes it happens that I'm in a meeting or I'm, you know, on the toilet or whatever. So I can't answer right then. <laughs> so like re real, real stuff. So I, I can't remember what I was doing when the guy called me. He called me, I couldn't answer. But I, my promise as the uh, service provider is that within the max two hours during my awake day, I will call you back. So I called the guy back in like an hour. And uh, I'm like, okay, you know, tell me what happened. And he was like, Robert, you would be very proud of me. Like, oh, okay, I'm interested. What happened? He's like, well, I went to this client. I sold their asset and we have a contract with them and I sold the asset and we agreed on whatever, 2%, let's say 10 grand, like he, he should have gotten 10 grand. Let's make, make that up. And then he, they told me that they're only going to give me five grand and it's a take it or leave it situation. They don't care about the contract. They're only going to give me five grand. And so obviously I got pissed because that's not fair. It's not ethical. It's not just, it's like, you know, whatever. And so I went out and I called you. So, to, 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 so you tell me what I should do. And so you did reply. So I asked myself, what would Robert tell me? So Robert would tell me to cut my losses short, accept the 5K because either way, you know, it's 5K and then not work with them again. And he did that. And I said, perfect. Well done. You took the 5K. You took a shot. You're not going to work with them again. You know right? It's not like you're never going to lose. You know, in business, you always lose sometimes and you have people like that, right? That double cross you. Fine. Okay. You can sue them later, but now take the 5k now. You hold it, put it in your bank account and then do whatever you want to do, right? After that, you can sue them all you want. You have the contract, right? But now you have your 5k richer, right? And so that you can live off of that 5k for another two months or whatever, right? And so, um, that was, I really liked it. And so this is what happens with employees as well, right? So you teach them how to think in this manner. And then basically they write the procedures for you because you can teach them how to do that, right? They improve everything for you. They just run the business for you and you pay them obviously very well. As, as the business keeps growing, you pay them better and better and better. And they don't even think of leaving because they're so happy. You empower them to do what they want. They can take decisions. If a client yells at them or, or, um, or, or insults them or whatever, they can literally fight back. Because someone that's not empowered would be scared to say anything, right? They would get angry, very angry because they can't say anything. They don't want to lose the client. They don't want to lose their job. But if you told them that, hey, if a client says this, let them have it. And no, we do not tolerate that. And I did have clients doing stuff like that, right? or sorry, employees, you know, fighting clients back 
and calming them down, you know? And so very cool, very cool stuff. Because once you give them the empowerment to do this, you would be surprised at how well they will run the business for you. Because guess what? You're not there. You're not there doing logistics 40 hours a week. You're busy doing other stuff. These guys know how to run your business better than you do in their specific area and their specific niche skill set, right? And so if you let them actually run it for you, oh gosh, it just goes from there. Boy, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, <laughs> Your uh, book recommendation is just outstanding. The One Minute Manager with Ken Blanchard is a must-read book. I was lucky enough when I was a sales manager for Serta Mattress Company years ago, uh, he came and spoke to us. And of nice. course, we got his book. And, and, nice. and let me tell you something, Robert. He was the most honest human uh, guy I have ever met, but he was simply outstanding. He wasn't a grandstanding theatrical speaker. He was like just telling us stories and it was so well done and it looked so effortless that I was thinking to myself, how many times has he given this talk that it's just rolls like he's he's just having a lemonade with us on our front porch and he's just telling us things that he's learned and telling us these stories and I'm like this guy is so good and I have so much to learn from him and I you know dove into that book and and uh, guys and gals anyone read it, uh, watching this uh, get that book one minute manager by Ken Blanchard. Outstanding yeah. recommendation, Robert. I want to get back to this. You said something and you said it so quickly. I do not want this to be uh, looked over by anybody. Knowing everything that you have learned in your career, what would you do now? That is perhaps one of the most powerful questions ever asked on 138 episodes of the Pete Primo Show. What would you do now? Given the benefit of all of your years of successes and all of your years of sometimes failures too, what would you do now? And what would you teach? And then empowering your employees to write the procedures for you. So if you're in your infancy of write-in process and procedures, don't do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. Bring your team along. And if you do this for every situation, and this is brilliant, for every situation, write two to three solutions and ask for feedback. And you, guys, gals, you can start on a, here, if you're old like me, you can start with this, a yellow <laughs> legal pad. Now, I would encourage you to use all the tools that are really efficient on your electrical devices. But if you're, if you're old like me, start <laughs> with a legal pad. And then when you get it closer to being finished, then transfer it onto um, your electrical devices with all the cool programs. But do whatever makes sense for you. If you're younger, do not even mess around with this. You're already light years ahead of me in terms of productivity. Yeah. This was so good, Robert. Um, I love this idea of, of having a business that you can walk away from. Having a business that doesn't own you, that you own it. That is huge. That's what we should all strive to create. And sometimes our ego gets in our way. Sometimes we go, well, you know, it, this is mine. Put that thing aside. It's not helping you, ladies and gentlemen. Put that ego, park it, and get into building a process for your store. And reps, same thing for you. Process, process, process. It will help you. The more I embrace processes, the more efficient I become, the better I serve my customers. And 
anyone who works with us, they know if they're checking on an order, they call Jenny, my wife who runs my office. (laughs) They know they can call me and they know that I'll probably pick up if I can, if I'm not already in a meeting. But almost all of my customers, they know, just take that and go to Jenny. You'll get an answer quickly, efficiently. And she's an accountant by trade. She loves that. She feeds (laughs) off of details. I'm a sales guy. All I want to do is sell things and help teach you how to sell things through to the end consumer. That's where I'm strong. And she's super strong on all the detail stuff. And so we have a team that works together that way. And it really works for us. So sales reps, if you don't have a team or a virtual assistant or a wife that helps you in your business, your business could be a lot bigger. But if you're happy with your business, as my friend Robert says, just keep doing what you're doing and be happy with it. Um, I have Robert, a couple I want, of things. I, I, w- I would love to dig in to process a little bit more, but I'm just sure. dying to ask you, um, when I was doing research for your visit here, I noticed that you are a productivity expert and that you're one of the things that you talk about is time management and productivity yep. hacks. And so I know that my store owners are always looking for an edge because at the end of the day, they are exhausted. I mean, they wear so many different hats. And I know the long-term answer is is process, mm-hmm. having a better process and, and committing to a process that mm-hmm. everybody uh executes well. Do you have any productivity hacks that you think would be helpful to retail store owners? Sure, sure. So uh, just a couple of things to clarify on um, on what you mentioned previously. So number one, your employees or the people you work with can document your processes, yes. Do they know how to in 90 something percent of cases, no. What do you do and what helps is to have professionals build draft one, right? So when we go into business to help them build everything, we start building their procedures one by one by one. And we call them procedures, not processes. A procedure is how you do something. A process is a group of procedures, right? So let's say you have a procedure for having a discovery call and then you have a procedure for for writing a contract. You have a procedure for issuing an invoice. And the process is the sales cycle process. Like one procedure in this department, one procedure here, one procedure there. Right. So that's how this works. And then this is run on top of a system. Right. So the business system runs the process which makes sure people follow procedure. Okay. So um, basically, we recommend that Draft one, in most cases, not be written by employees. If you have employees that love doing this stuff, 100% let them. But in most cases, they will be fearful of that, right? Okay. And so, um, number two, actually, I have three points. Number two, you mentioned that most businesses or most business owners do not processize their business or proceduralize their business because of ego. I do agree ego is a factor. I would say a bigger factor and the biggest factor is fear. Mm. And I think 80% of the cases, the owner is fearful that if they leave other people to run their business, it will go down. It's fear. And I, it's the vast majority of people that at least I've worked with. They do not have the courage to let go. And it's very scary. It is very scary. Okay. Yes. Some of them, it's ego. I want to do this. I want to be the head. I want to whatever, but that's less than fear. Fear is the biggest driver of or the biggest blocker of people doing this. It takes courage, takes yeah. discipline. It takes patience because it's not going to happen overnight. It takes months to build everything correctly and so on. But at the end of the day, what you get is a business that is simply better in every way, shape or form. And you will be happier for it and it will make you a better business owner, right? And it will, the asset will be worth more, obviously. So, um, 
basically that does that. And then the third thing is if we reference sales and salespeople, I can tell you that we've built sales systems and we've uh, rendered sales training and so on and so forth. Like you have Pete and you're probably much better than we are in the mattress um, and, you know, furniture sections and so on. For me, I can tell you that we sign many times our average deal size is $350,000, right? When we sell something. And so imagine during various points in time, I had 100% close rates. 100% closer. Whenever I would talk to lead, they would buy something. And so I did not do that by winging it. I did that by following procedure. We created procedure. What do you need to do in this case, in this case, in this case, in this case? We have hundreds of pages of sales procedures. Every single thing, even the exact way you follow up with someone after the discovery call, exactly how you fill this, 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 what you do here with dozens of examples of follow-ups in various different cases and so on and so forth, right? We know what to do. Obviously, I'm going, because I'm the father of that, I'm going to easily follow it and have a 100% close rate. But imagine someone that's never followed the process before. They're winging their sales, right? Let's say they have a 10% close rate. How would that people feel if they would have a 30% close rate? Three times more sales. Let's say right now they're making 30 grand a year in sales. Imagine making 90 grand a year. It's life-changing for them to sell three times more. And so this is the power of procedures. If you, I believe that in life in general, but in sales especially, there is no such thing as being overprepared. No such thing. You are never overprepared to have a sales call. And so that's how I try to conduct myself always to be overprepared for every single call that I have. And that's how, you know, we would used to have 100% close rate. And so now to answer your um, question, um, if we look at... Um, how businesses conduct themselves in general, right? um, you have the owner that's typically um, a uh, tactician. So if you read the E-Myth, the E-Myth Revised by Michael E. Gerber, and by the way, I've read hundreds of books, so it's not like I've invented any of this stuff. I, I'm just an implementer, right? I'm an executioner. I, because I'm an engineer, when we were in school, school for me was very black and white. You would get a problem, an equation to solve, and then the teacher would give you the solution. This is the formula on how to solve this. And I would immediately apply the formula to my equation. And that's it. I wouldn't ask why, like, I just, this is the formula, this is the equation, go. So that's the main difference between me and most others. I, I look at everything like a mathematician and like, this is my challenge. This is the formula. Let me apply it now. And so instead of reading 50 books a year, like many people do or say they do at least, if I read one book a year and I implement it, I am 10 steps ahead of you because you implemented zero books fully. I implement one book fully and I'm already ahead of you. It doesn't matter if it's EMIT. doesn't matter if it's work the system from whoever, they, however they're called, Sam something, I think. It doesn't matter if it's the one minute manager. If any amazing book that's proven to work, I implement, I'm already 10 steps ahead of you. And you can be too. <laughs> 10 steps ahead of your competition. You just need to actually implement. And if you do not have time, like we've discussed, hire someone to do it for you. Don't come up with excuses. I don't have time is an excuse in business, right? It's like, okay, do I have thousands of dollars a month that I could delegate towards someone, whether internally or hiring a team? And then I do that. And so that's basically it um, there. And so in the e-myth, it's explained that there are three people, three types of people. The visionary, the manager, and the tactician. Most people in business are tacticians, even the owner. Um, the, the, the guy that loves making pizza opens a pizza parlor, right? The guy that's the very good, you know, plumber, opens a plumbing business or whatever, you know, mattress, furniture sales, the guy that's very good sales 
Men, technician, right? Opens a sales store, whatever. Typically, that's what happens. And this is the e-myth, right? The entrepreneurial myth. That's where it comes from. So that's why it's a myth because people as tacticians believe that they will be happier and richer owning a business instead of having a job, which is false. It's a myth, right? Um, Typically, the pizza guy is happier making pizza than hiring staff, working payroll, uh, making sure they get fresh fruits, negotiating with the vendors, uh, paying rent, um, finding clients, blah, 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 blah. Like a dozen things that need to be done. Paying taxes, like doing the, you know, oh, they're in, in restaurants is the health safety things, you know, like to make sure it's clean and so on. Making sure cleanliness is there, you know, uh, so many things, so, so many things you need to do. Where in fact, what makes you happy is making pizza. And now all of a sudden you have 20 other responsibilities because you taught that the pizza business is only about making pizza. No. Right? So that's the email in, in the nutshell. I'm giving you like the 10,000 foot view uh, so that you don't need to read the book. <laughs> but basically, that's what it says. And then uh, you have these three people. So you need to understand who you are and you need in every business, you need all three. You need a visionary to tell you that this is where we're going and this is how we're going to get there. Right? That's the visionary. You need the manager to put that into a plan with deadlines and milestones and who does what by when and to make sure that everything keeps is kept track of. And then you need the tactician, which is the person that does the work, right? So in all businesses, you need all three. If you're a solopreneur, guess what? You are all three. You at times say, this is where we're going to take the business to yourself because you're the only person there. And then you need to manage your sales pipeline, your CRM, your whatever, your follow-ups, your everything you manage yourself. And then you actually need to hop on the sales call, go to the meeting, uh, you know, do the invoicing, whatever, right? So these are the three roles. That's it. And all of the e-myth talks about managing your business in a way that these three roles can thrive, right? The salesperson, instead of everyone makes this mistake, they have a stellar salesperson selling you know, more than 99, like more than anyone else, double, like they're like head over heels, you know, so in front of the second guy, right? They're the top salesperson. Most businesses, what do they do with this person? They take them off sales and put them in sales management. They make them a VP of sales. All of a sudden, they took the tactician that's amazing at sales and made them a manager. They, they, in most cases, they'll be so unhappy and they will fail and they will leave the company. This is what happened, right? Because they're a tactician. They love to sell. Let them sell. Hire a manager or the, put the guy that's not good in sales, make them the sales manager because maybe they like to manage instead of sale, instead of sell. They understand the process. They have some sales. But what they love is to keep track of everything. Okay, make them the manager. And then the visionary, either it's you or someone else, doesn't matter. Again, you should not have ego, as Pete said earlier, right? Uh, if you're the tactician, if you're the pizza guy, hire someone to run the pizza parlor. And you can still own 100% of the pizza parlor and be the guy making the pizza. Because ownership has nothing to do with responsibility. You need to take that away. This has nothing to do one with the other. I can own a clinic and be the doctor, one of the doctors, one of the many doctors in the clinic. I can own it. I make all of the money in the clinic in terms of profit because only I own it and I'm a doctor. I can be a nurse and own the clinic. I can be nothing in the clinic and own the clinic. Please separate ownership from responsibility, right? And so that separation is very important in your brain. You do not need to lead people in the business. You can do whatever you want in the business, right? You can hire a leader to lead your people. In all of my businesses, I always search for CEOs and very hard to find, very, very difficult to find, but I don't want to be the CEO. I don't. It's not me. It's not who I am, right? I'm the engineer. I'm the tactician. I love to do, right? I'm also the visionary. So I'm part tactician, part visionary, right? I do everything because I had to, right? To build everything. So now I know how to do everything. But if you were to 
you know, ask me what I would like to do. I would be down in the nitty gritty with the engineers all day long. That's what I would love to, right? And so um, the reason why I keep doing businesses and so on and so forth is because I see where the industry is going. I see the trends. So I want to be prepared for the next 20 years of my life. Um, fi- from a financial perspective, like maybe we need a little bit more considering we want to increase our lifestyle. Maybe I need to work two more years and then I don't need to work anymore, right? Even now, if I stop working, I should be fine for the next you know, 20 to 50 years. Depends how my investments go, right? But if if not, like if I increase my lifestyle, maybe I work two more years and then I should be fine. So it's all a game after that, as you can imagine. Robert, there's so much to unpack here. Um, I love no such thing as being overprepared. One of the things that anybody who's ever listened to my show has heard me say, most salespeople don't go deep enough. And now here's a lesson for you sales reps. Take this to heart, what Robert just said. No such thing as being overprepared. Did you go on your potential dealer's website? Did you check out his or her social media? Have you visited the stores? Have you done your intel with other reps, with other people, with other connections that you have in your industry? Do you know what is happening in that dealer's marketplace? Who's opening a new store? What's happening? What are the macro economic considerations? What is happening? Because I firmly believe that you earn the right to see a dealer and to be able to make recommendations for their business. You earn the right. You have to do the intel first. So that's something for reps. Um, the, the e-myth with uh, Michael Gerber is this is so true. And in our industry, especially in the sleep shop piece of it, the, the mattress stores, a guy or a gal learns how to sell mattresses. They sell mattresses well. They might make so much money so fast and fall in love with the idea of owning their own place that they don't even get promoted to management. And then they own their own store. And that is a danger. And the danger. Robert already showed us it. If you don't have, if you have not learned how to manage people, then you're going to have to hire that done because you are going to make so many big mistakes that the most efficient and least costly way is to hire an experienced manager. So many times we see the star salesperson end up as an owner. And sometimes if they didn't, if, if they didn't have experience in management, they don't know how to manage people. And so you can really set up yourself for failure that way. And I'll tell you, we see it all the time. As a matter of fact, my, my good friend, uh, Mike Weinberg just wrote a book and everybody that's watching, if you are a B2B, uh, manager, you need to get this book, The First Time Manager Sales. I only read it because Mike asked me to read it and because his other three books were so good. Um, I didn't think I'd learn anything. I learned a bunch. And one of the things he put his finger on, Robert, is exactly what you said. One of the biggest mistakes that we could take, do in business is we take our star salesperson and we promote him or her into management. And here's where the mistake is made. Without due diligence, without making sure that they have the personality characteristics of being unselfish. Most great producers are extremely selfish and they're productively selfish. And we as managers encourage them to be selfishly uh, productive. And now they are put into a situation where the team has to come first. And they have to learn how to get things done through other people instead of just trying to do it on their own. So a lot of times 
the success characteristics that make a great salesperson and a great sales manager, they're at odds. And it's a very unusual guy or gal with very, very unusually well-balanced characteristics that can make that work. Usually, it's a recipe for absolute unadulterated failure. And one of the smartest salespeople I know actually read this book and said, no, thank you. This is what a good sales manager does. I don't want to do that. You know, I'm happy being a top producer and my hat is off to Dominic for understanding who he is and what he wants to be. And so far, yeah, he loves his life. He does not want to be a sales manager. He is a top producer and he does it so well. This idea of understanding that I might be a tactician. And what is it that I have to learn to become a really good owner? And one of the things that I've always said, Robert, is the biggest mistake that I see in business is a great salesperson becomes an owner. And if they leapfrog that manager step, they're almost doomed unless they can learn really, really fast. If you're lucky, if you're truly blessed, you will become an excellent salesperson in your industry. Then you'll be a manager. And then if you're really, truly blessed, you'll be allowed to learn the advertising and the marketing of a business. And if you can learn those things before you have to actually take on the role as the visionary, then you are really set up for success. And I have taken all the air out this has been great. I always try to leave the last 10 minutes, but I've, I've hogged some of it. I want you, Robert, to tell anybody that's been listening why they should work with you and how they can get in touch with you. Take the next seven minutes. And if there's anything that I messed up just there and you want to clean up after me, you go right ahead because everything you said has been so on point. <laughs> and Robert, it's just been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I feel you you have um, all of the experience and it comes out, it resonates, right? Like you can feel that you've been there, done that, heard it, you know, seen it and so on. So um, thank you for, you know, having the podcast and for helping everyone that's watching or listening. You know, it's super cool. Um, obviously, my privilege to be here. Um, anyone that wants to work with us, uh, we have a procedure for everything, just like we have a procedure for all of our unique sales propositions, which are USPs in sale, right? We have 12 USPs for why people should work with us. Not one, not two, not three. We've come up with 12 USPs. Anyone working with us has the benefit of 12 USPs. I can't go into it in, you know, five minutes, as you can imagine. But the main USP is that we've been there and done that in over 19 different sectors across 14 different time zones of over 300 businesses, we've generated over half a billion dollars in value, right? So um, it typically, it's just, who are you going to work with? <laughs> you know, like someone that's done it before so often, so much and so successfully, or are you going to hire someone that, you know, has two years of experience or whatever, and they're going to charge you the same amount. Um, I remember one of my good friends, um, they're actually going to come visit us in Europe, but um, I, I know them for a few years now and they've always had issues with chiefs of operation. They've been churning chiefs of operation because, you know, they are not able to fully do what needs to be done. And the main reason for it, and I told him the main reason for it is because they actually needed an operator, a manager and a tactician in the same person or in two roles. They're trying to hire one chief of ops, which would basically say, okay, this is how the procedure needs to be and so on and so forth. And then expect that same person to implement, to execute, to make sure the business goes in that direction. But it's typically not the same person. So they would hire people with the CV, with the resume, with the interviews, everything top-notch, stellar, hire them, and they would either be a good tactician and not good enough to see the vision of where we're going or 
they're great in the vision, like, hey, this is where we're going, this is what we want to build, but then they would suck at implementing, right? And so I've seen him try and try, and at one point I said, dude, let me just, let my team do this for you, seriously. Let's just, I can rent out my team, you know, and then they can do this for you. And so he's like, can, Robert, can you do that? That first client in this, because we never thought of, this is our secret sauce, the way we run business, right? So we, we always use it for our own businesses to build our, uh, assets, you know, to take them to seven or eight figures and, you know, to sell them. And so basically, um, I said, look, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll rent it out to you. And so we agreed same salary as the chief of ops, right? He was paying the chief of ops salary. I said, okay, let me take that same money, give it to my team. And then my team will do all of the work for you. In the first month of us working with them, he made more money than the entire year of the engagement. He made so much more money in the first month, right? Wow. Because guess what? The first thing that my team saw is there's so much in collectible that no one was collecting. So much. And some, some things from a year ago that no one was like legally they had to pay. And then it was there. It was just sitting there, cash. No one was taking it because the, the operator didn't want to do the work. You know, it's, it was below them. <laughs> you know, it's below the chief of ops to collect, to be a collector. I'm like, it's not below us. We'll do everything required in your business to, you know, take it to the next level. So we just did it. And just money was piling in, you know, like money was just coming in like that. Like, where's this money coming from? Well, we noticed there's a big, you know, um, uh, accounts uh, receivable bill. And so we just went into, because we do the finances, we look at the, um, the balance sheets, we create the PLs and so on and so forth. So we do all of that. And when we saw the accounts receivable, we're like, gosh, there's so much money here just sitting here contractually that they need to pay us, right? So we just started following up with those people and so on. First month, he already made money back that he probably thought he even forgot about. He didn't even know but half of it was there. So we we dug it up and then we just, you know, collected on it. And so in many other things, like he was, he had this procedure that he had to do and then he would give it to someone, the manager, and they would manually have to do something like a hundred times. We built a system so that it automates that, right? And it, it took us a couple of days to build the system. And now we, we took it down from two days of work to half an hour of work. Again, how much cost saving is that, right? And over and over and over again, if every week we keep doing this over and over again, there are 50 weeks in a, in a year. Let's say we make improvements in 40 of them. But that's 40 times that we've improved your business. Even if it improves just 1%, 40 times, you're 50% better because of compound interest, over 50% better at the end of the year, right? So you have this business that up until last year was worth 1 million. Now it's worth one and a half million all of a sudden, right? Because it makes more revenue, has a higher profit margin. So that it has lower costs. So the profit margin is higher. So you get to keep more at the end of the year, right? And so on and so forth, just various things around that. But basically, uh, anyone can find me, you know, yes, exactly. They, or they can just go, if they Google Robert Indriesh, literally just open Google and write Robert Indriesh and then click enter. The first three pages should be me. And I have my website. And if anyone, you know, wants me to, um, uh, um, help them or they need, you know, questions, whatever, they can email me at robertindriesh.com and they just need to mention the fix this first podcast like hey i heard about you here and then i promise to reply and engage robert thank you for giving us the benefit of your your knowledge and your insights thank you for taking an hour out of your day for us and uh anybody that is interested go to go to robert's website and check him out also check him out on linkedin Thank you so much and have a great day, Robert. Thank you so much as well. Thanks.